Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 12-13-2020, and we're continuing with our service. We will have the thought of the week and prayer. All right, and here is the thought of the week, entitled, No Baking. Acting, acting in a mature way does not make you mature. You must submit to God. You can only receive from God from a position of humility. Many Christians focus on conduct. They practice behaving a certain way and rehearse role model behaviors to demonstrate their persistence and allegiance to God. They are more concerned with the exterior than the interior. They are willing to fast, pray, and spend long hours helping the homeless and the poor. They may be relentless in visiting the sick and shut-in, and many would say this behavior reflects a mature status quo. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. From Matthew chapter 23, verse 26. All of those things can be done and the person may not even know God. The most important thing to God is that we allow him to transform our worldly thinking, as in Romans 12, 2. If God can transform us into his image, his conduct will follow. The mature believer knows and understands God. God is not a mystery anymore. Now, this is not to say that the mature believer has no new vistas to explore. Getting to maturity is the beginning of adulthood. It is the beginning of walking with God from an adult perspective. There is certainly much more to learn. But the one thing the believer has come to understand is how to learn of God. The Apostle Paul said of himself, not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. From Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. This did not mean that Paul was not mature, for he said a couple of verses later, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. From Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. And that is the thought of the week, and I would just like to offer a small commentary on that. And we can see that learning and growing in the knowledge of Christ and reaching the fullness of Christ and God requires humility, the main point of this thought of the week. But just as milk comes before meat in our humanity, so does birth in, in the church aid precede growth. In fact, it establishes a starting point. First, be saved. Then, seek God diligently, and he will reward you by way of the spirit of truth by whom you were baptized into the person of Christ upon your salvation by grace. Salvation is on a need-to-know basis. It is the starting point that is absolutely necessary. 
but growing in the knowledge of Christ and growing to maturity and reaching the fullness of Christ, that's on a want-to-know basis. And God is more than ready to reveal himself to you. So um, first be saved and then seek him diligently, and he'll reward you with himself. And that's my commentary. And then Bill will offer a prayer on our behalf. Okay, thank you, Dory. At this time, is there anyone who wished to uh, stand in the need of prayer or know someone that is in the need of prayer? This is the time that we do so. Yeah, Bill. Um, praying for those who have been affected by COVID, not only those who have lost loved ones, those grieving, as well as um, those who are sick with the, with the uh, virus. Okay. Would that be it? If we could bow our heads for a word of prayer. We well, we thank you once again, Father, that you've given us the honor and privilege to stand before you, Lord. We pray that the message that we hear today is one that will take us throughout all eternity. We pray for your goodness and your joy and your mercy, O Lord. We pray that you heal those, if it be thy will, uh, that have come down with the COVID. We pray for the vaccine that will hopefully bring uh, some relief. Lord, we pray for those who are even still sick, Lord. We pray that you touch them, O Father, that your will be done in their lives. We pray for understanding your word, O Lord, that we may all come to the truth. We pray that you give us a light that we may walk. For those who are stumbling into your goodness and the mercy that is in you, that may come to the full knowledge of truth. The Lord is in Jesus' name, and this and all blessings we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Thank you both for uh, Dwight and Bill for taking care of those uh, parts of our service. We're continuing <clears throat> where we left off. You have notes. So if you can find your notes, we will uh, we'll go right there. We're in John chapter 15, verse 13. It says, Greater love has no one than this, to, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In your notes, as we continue to discuss more characteristics of special love, we find another analogy to help us understand. We explored the vine and the branches, uh, remaining in love, and now we will discuss friendship. I would say this type of friendship is not conventional. With social media platforms using friendship to build an audience, we do not want to get the wrong idea. When we try to make this friendship the same as we understand friendship today, we, may, we just may miss the point. What is good is that we have a detailed explanation of what Jesus meant or means by his use of friendship. As Jesus explains this new analogy, we can look at the requirements and see if we can be friends with Jesus. So that's where we want to proceed. 
if we really own this is a short verse it's like the some of the ones we've had previously but it is filled with uh, some great understanding that we need to make sure we get so we're going to break it down a little bit and see if we can uh, so we just did it in two phrases greater love has no one than this so how do we f see that verse we should see that as profound. I do not want to see this as just Jesus exaggerating or just some hyperbole that he is just really just trying to make a point. But I'm going to take him at his word here. Greater love has no one than this. That means, if we were to rephrase that, this is what it says. There can be no greater love than this. He says greater love. In other words, there's love in the past. We can recognize that. But no greater love than this. There can be no greater love than this. Or no person can have a love greater than this. Or this is the greatest love ever. Could we say? I think from that one phrase we could say all of those three things are true. And... Um, if we take Jesus as his word, then we have to make sure we understand why he says such a thing. We're going we're gonna to dig into that. So point B, by now we ought to be leaning forward to see what it is. If I built it up to this point, it's the greatest love ever. Then we should at this point say, well, what is this? Right? Why would Jesus say this about love? And, and then we have to really grapple with the understanding of it. So there are two reasons why this love is the greatest, and I'm going to point them out. So, let's dig in. So, the, the, because this love, or and we know love is a motivation, it's the highest motivation, is focused on the new dispensational teaching that would soon come. In other words, like the Holy Spirit is going to be we're going to be led <clears throat> into all truth. So, uh, to these disciples and the apostles, right, and which they would eventually become the apostle once the Spirit of Truth comes. So, this new teaching reveals the Father's eternal purpose. So, tell me, I should ask, what is more important than this? So in Ephesians 3.11, since I'm already in Ephesians, I happen to be from Q&A, it says that all of this is according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I like the way God speaks about his eternal purpose that he accomplished. He, it's not even finished yet. Think about that. It's not even finished, but Christ, if Paul is saying, according to his eternal purpose, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's more yet to be accomplished. And yet, God sees it as a completed act. Because really, in his mind, it is completed. It will be completed, for sure. So, we should be really thinking about it from that perspective as well. This is reality. This is your destiny. It's like they were disciples. They are destined to be the apostles in the foundation of the church. And could, could there be any greater motivation, devotion, commitment 
toward this? No, because it is the highest um, uh, ideal or plan, let's just put it that way, the highest plan that there is. Now, we could say that God brought Israel on board because he wanted them to be a priest nation to all the other nations, and that's an important role. But this purpose, Christ is saying it's greater than every love, period. There is no greater love than this. And so what we're talking about is what brought all of this about and what it is. We know what led up to the mystery and we know what the mystery is. And this is what we are called to herald. It's not just the gospel. Yes, yes, we are called to herald the gospel, but we are also called to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God. That is our objective as well. It's not just to go out and teach the gospel, or go out and you know, feed the poor and you know, make sure people have shelter and all. It is our objective to make it plain to everyone the unsearchable riches that are in Christ. That's our objective. And we we may evaluate ourselves on how we're doing about it, what we're doing toward it, but that is what we're called to do. So this new teaching, right? Jesus is introducing it to the disciples at this point. He's just laying the groundwork for it. When the Spirit comes, this is what he's going to do. When the Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. When the Spirit comes, he will remind you of everything I have said to you. I can't tell you all of it now, but when he comes, <clears throat> you're, you're going to get more later. So that's why that this is the greatest thing or love ever that we could possibly have. And our love is really for, for what God has done or for the Father is our response to that. Right? That's, this is the response God would have us to possess, right? But doesn't mean we will have this response. People can ignore what the Father's purpose is and then they won't have the response of love. But we, what we want is that we fulfill it, <clears throat> that we have that response of love. And this is how we operate then when it comes to our mission here on in this world. So this that's the first thing, right? We know that this is this is big. <laughs> this is very big. And so that's why. This is the biggest thing ever. This is, there's nothing that can eclipse this. this. I mean, there's nothing in Israel, nothing looking back at the Gentiles and Genesis or anywhere wherever you want to go. There's nothing bigger as far as God accomplishing his purposes than what he has revealed in this age. Nothing. So it's the highest. And I would love for somebody to say, no, it's not. I think this is the highest. I, I want to have that conversation with you. Let's talk. Let's explore that. Because I, I think the Bible declares that this is. So then this is the next point. So we, what else? What else is, is why this is the greatest? And that is our identification, which is our baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
with the spirit of truth. That, that's why we are able to love in this manner. Right? We can't even love apart from this. So, we, so we're, just imagine if Jesus says, yeah, all this is coming. <clears throat> You're going to have to grapple with it. Excuse me. <clears throat> You're going to have to deal with it. But that is not what he said. We are not left to on our own to figure out the much more information. Right? That's something the Holy Spirit will is given to us for us to be led and, and understand into all truth. It's not something we have just as, oh, we got to now figure out what God's eternal purpose is. God is revealing to us freely what his eternal purpose is. It's up to us to be recipients of that. So I said, however, however, this love does not operate apart from us, but within us. So, so it, if you think about it, so that creates a little bit more complexity to this. It's not just that the Father has this eternal purpose. Right? That, that is the highest thing that God is doing, right? that he's fulfilling something that he planned from eternity past. But now, <clears throat> it's also our part in it as well. It's God the Holy Spirit plus us. It's not just God who's leading out in this. So in Romans 5, I will turn there, 3 through 5, it says this. Now we've gone over these verses a lot, so I'm going to truncate them some. 3 through 5 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope this is what we it leads us to the more you focus the more you're as you're in this world uh, the suffering comes as you distinguish yourself from the world suffering comes as a result of you uh, not being transformed by uh, by the world but by being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that the world is gonna, you're gonna be at odds with the world. That's why the world hates you. Jesus said, because it hated me. You're walking in Jesus's footsteps. But all of that produces something in you. Produces per character, perseverance. Because you know that you're walking in truth, right? But the more you learn, the more you know and are confident that this is the detail of what God wants us to do. He, we know exactly he has us right where he wants us to be and we're, we are fulfilling his purposes. So it produces character and character produces hope. And this hope does not put us to shame. We're not worried because others don't identify with us or don't understand us or say what we think is foolishness and all of that. We're not concerned about all that. It doesn't make us shameful. Because here it is, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that love is the, you know, you might say, well, okay, all those things, what did it cause us to do? 
cause us to have fear and shame? No, cause us to have love, hope. Right? These are the confidence, right? So now we are determined to fulfill his purposes. That is our motivation. When we wake up in the morning, that's what we have on our mind, the fact that God has called us from eternity past to be in the present right now, in this day, as those who are predestined. Our lives are marked out for God's special purposes. We know that. Right? So that's when I, when I say it's our identification with the spirit of truth. Now, it takes something to get there, right? It's not just, oh, okay, we already understand that. It takes, uh, you know, sufferings. Suffering produces perseverance. All of that is our cooperation with the spirit of truth, walking us through the battlefield. Right? That's what it requires. So our identification with the spirit, so we're not left to figure this out, just much more information on our own. We have the spirit of truth. So this is the key point in, in all of this point number two is, However, this love does not operate apart from us, but within us. So in Philippians 2.13 is the second verse I have. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. This is one that I've picked out as part of our motivation. Right? It, our motivation is not ours alone, but it is a synergy between us and and God, for it is God, it says, who works in you. So this is important. It's God, and we're talking about God, the Holy Spirit. This is who you are now. This is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What happens when we don't act in that way? We grieve the Holy Spirit. What happens when we do? That means this is the way, the normal Christian life. This is God leading us into all truth. We are willing and acting according to his good purpose. You might say his good purpose. Well, you got to take your eyes off of self in order for you to understand that we're not here to please ourselves. But we are here to do the will of him who sent us. It's the same thing Christ said. <laughs> when he was here. So that is our, our destiny as well. That's why we're here in the world. So we have to have somewhat of a delayed gratification because we do talk about it is our right to live our lives in this world. It's our right to, to do what we want to do. But it is also our right to surrender our life to Christ for a greater purpose, a greater love than we have just humanly speaking, right? Trying to do things that benefit us, that are for our own good. So it's like it says, for it is God who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill. It, it, this is not just in and of itself. It is to fulfill something, a plan, God's good purpose. Right? And that, that verse says a lot. Um, it helps us understand, you know, what is the motivation. It's not just me, but it's God, the Holy Spirit, working with my will, my submissive, humble will to fulfill that purpose. I have a role to play. That's important. 
So Jesus is emphasizing that when he says, greater love is no one than this. This is the greatest love ever. And what is love? Love is this motivation. We have to have that motivation by surrendering our will to God, the Holy Spirit. For he will lead, he will take us if we do. We can be sure that he will do his job admirably, I'm sure. Let's keep going. So greater love is no one this. So Jesus begins to paint the picture using his love as our highest motivation. Yeah. I mean, this is a new analogy that he's breaking into, but we want to allow him to set the stage. So we can clearly see this love as our highest motivation in the much more information. So when I say the much more information, you know this is coming from John chapter 16, where Jesus says, uh, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. So that much more information didn't come until Pentecost, when it began to be rele in, you know, released to the world, angels, everybody, by those uh, apostles, of which... Paul is one of them. So this information is considered in uh, the much more information or what Jesus spoke about when he said that he could not tell us all of it. So Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. Let's look at that. Um, let's go to Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. Again, we have covered these verses in a lot of detail. So we are not, we're going to, you know, cut to where we want to be. But it doesn't necessarily say that we can uh, divorce these things from the context. Because context speaks of all of these things. But if we go back, we will be regressing and covering ground that is not at the subject. Okay? So 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is where, right, this is being strengthened in your inner being, right? This is what it means to be strengthened in your inner being. That means your inner being is focused on the hidden treasures that are in Christ. So in 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ is already in us, right? The moment we believe in Christ. And that is due or as a result of the baptism of the Spirit. He is in us, and we are in him. That is a given. But these verses are saying something different. It's saying that he may dwell in our hearts. That is our conscious thinking, our motivation. That's important. So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. So notice, Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith, is mean. it means you're consciously aware of what the riches and treasures are of this age, what God has given us and hidden in Christ. You have that in your heart now. So I pray that you, now he continues to pray for us, but listen to the, the prepositional phrase 
that he gives about us. That you, being rooted and established in love. Now, he didn't have to provide that information, <laughs> but he did. It helps us know what he's talking about more specifically. That we are rooted and established in love. And what is love again? It's that motivation that we've just been talking about. No greater love than this, Christ is saying. That We'll get to the rest of it, but that is what's the greatest love there is. We're going to identify that. Because really, the in the much more information that we're discovering here in Ephesians, he's dealing with that subject. Being rooted and established in love. That means, rooted means not just surface information, deep. Roots go deep. They go below the surface and established. Again, that's foundational to our understanding of the spiritual life, right? That's not just that we're saved, but what is our calling, right? We're rooted and established in love. Love is the proper motivation that we... It, love is our response to the Father and what he, his love for us. Love is our response to Christ. And how, you know, he has given us this information and put us in this place. What is our response? Love, right? Our commitment, obeying his commands, listening to uh, the nuances of this age that are, are upon us, we, we should say. So then you have verse 19, right? Or, or verse 18, that we may have power. Now, this power um, is interesting because, remember, he's praying for us that we may have power. Now, again, we have another prepositional phrase, together with all the Lord's holy people. <laughs> so, Paul is giving us more information. And we could just branch off and start talking about that whole thing. Or we could branch off and start talking about the previous prepositional phrase, right? That uh, I pray it's being rooted and established in love, but but let's stay on the point because he's talking about this love, right? That we may have power. How do we get this power? What is this power? Is this power when I speak a word, people just fall over? That's not related to that at all. So the power, together with all the Lord's people, we won't discuss all the detail of that, but what we should know is that it's for everybody. It's for all of us who are uh, called in this age. It's not just for some, but all. And then I'll say, to grasp. This is what we need the power for. Not to heal people. Not to heal ourselves. <laughs> I have to say these things because, unfortunately... The world, the church world, is fixated on it. And we, we just need to dispel some of these things right out, out the gate. Okay, so we may have power to grasp. In other words, to apprehend, to take it for ourselves, right? And this is what we need to know. It's not a matter of power to fly <laughs> or, or something. But it's power to understand. And it takes that power. 
And God has given us this power through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which he has given us. It is to grasp. And remember, to grasp this information, it is God the Holy Spirit who is leading and guiding us into all of this. He's the one who, as we submit to him, the more powerful we become in understanding, right? In understanding. Not power to, you know, all that other stuff I said, but power now to understand more, like the more, the all truth that he's leading us in. So what is that? What, what is he trying to tell us that we may have to grasp? And that is how wide and long and high and deep. Right? So those are four dimensions that are mentioned here. And these four dimensions are going to tell us completely. Right? If somebody describes something to you, and then they described it in the height, the depth, the width, and the length of it. That is to say, they're going to describe this thing completely. Right? And I I like to, this thought being used in Revelation where, where he says, I want you to measure the temple and the people there as well. How many people? Measure the temple. And that means you, you ought to get the dimensions of the temple. Now, when he, we look at that prophecy in Revelation, there was no temple. Right? This, the temple didn't exist. But God is saying, measure it. So understand the prophecy, understand the breadth, the length, the width of that prophecy. So in this understanding, it's different. He says that we may have power, and we know where the Holy Spirit is leading us into all truth. And what is that? Uh, it's about love, that we may have this understanding, complete like the Holy Spirit will take us into all truth. We will get there. It's not like we're, we're always traveling, but we're never arriving at the knowledge of the truth. It's there. Yes, it's not some carrot that is before us that we will never understand. We'll always, that, that's for people who don't understand. They're always learning, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, that means they're refusing to be led by the Holy Spirit, which we talked about earlier. But here, we're trying to understand what this greater love is, right? This is important. Because that we may have power to grasp this information. And we will have it. Yeah. It's, it's something we can possibly know. And so we'll know the dimensions of it. And what is the dimensions of, let's just say it, uh, the Father's eternal purpose, which is his love of Christ. Right? That we may, let's read it again, that we may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is what? The love of Christ. Now the love of Christ goes back to the Father's love for Christ before the creation of the world. This is where the Father has put Christ in play as far as his plan is concerned. This is what the Father's eternal purpose for Christ is. It's not just that he say, you know, he died for the sins of the world and that uh, all can 
be saved because he has propitiated or satisfied the justice of God for our sins. It's more than that. It is about the Father's eternal purpose that he has accomplished in Christ. So that is what the dimensions or understanding of that is. And verse 19, we'll keep moving forward. And to know this love. So now, like I said before, it is possible that we understand the height, the depth, the width, and the length. It is possible. <laughs> it's not something that, well, you know, we'll understand it better by and by. No, we, we'll understand it now because this is what God has given us. And I am determined. I hope you are determined that you may grasp how, the dimensions of the love of Christ. And that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. That we will know these dimensions. And as it says in verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That goes back to what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. Literally, it says that to know this love that surpasses, that goes beyond knowing. The word is just gnosis. You can't even know this. But this love surpasses that information because it is given to us by God, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit knows, goes to the deep things of God. To know this love, which surpasses knowledge, in other words, it goes beyond knowing itself, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I don't want to get too far because these verses can take us, but the idea here is that this is the ultimate in God's purpose for our lives. Right here, we're seeing it as we live and breathe. Now, whether we can grasp it, whether we have power to understand this, is depends on our spiritual growth. But we, what we need to understand or what we're growing into is this love, the love of Christ. Literally, we will be seeing eye to eye with the Father. If the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God and is freely giving them to us, guess what that says? We can have them. <laughs> this is it's not to say we can't have it. We can have it. Just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is what we speak. This is what we teach. This is what we talk about. This is the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. So, I don't think we got very far. So we're going to get back to our notes and continue. Right? It's, this love is our highest motivation. Right? It is our highest motivation. Not to say everybody's there or whether or not it's up to you and your humility that will take you there. All the information, all the learning, all the everything, God the Holy Spirit has the provisions for that. You don't have to worry about it. He can do that. Your job is stay humble. and Stay willing to allow the Holy Spirit to take you wherever he chooses. That is the key. We know where he's choosing to take you into all truth. We just discussed that. Point E or, or let's see, 
point D, I'm sorry, in your notes. There was great love, yes, in the past. When I say there was great love, that means, yes, there was great love in the past, but not like this. None can match the direction and provision of this love. You have to see this as unique. This is special. I mean, Jesus, if he was only talking about Israel, he could not say what he said here. Greater love has no one than this. He couldn't say that. Because Israel, the testimony, the revelation that God had given them, it was his, the fullness of his purpose to that point. He gave Israel everything he needed to give them. And your devotion, your response to that should have been love as well. But this is totally different. It deals with the direction, meaning God's eternal purpose, and the provision, God the Holy Spirit. Nobody can match either one of those of his love. No one can match it. This is for us to grow into it. Point E, this great love comes as a result. Right. And the result, if we read, I'm going back to John to get this. John chapter 15, where we are in our verse. So, so it comes as a result of what we already learned in the previous verses. As I pointed out, this is just another analogy. Not just another, but each analogy teaches us something important about what we need in our response to this love, right? The love that Jesus has for us. So, so this great love comes as a result of this. Remain in me, right? As this verse, uh, as I remain in you, that's verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. All, you, there's no way around those statements. They're not like, you should, if... Uh, if you remain in me, this is the result. If you don't remain in me, this is the result. That's pretty stark. That's verse 4. We learned about that. We talked about the, the fruit analogy and so forth. And then we went to, if my words remain in you. That's verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. So now we're getting some understanding of what it it takes on our side in order for us to remain in Christ. It can't just be, well, I'm, I said I'm remaining. I'm in you. No, it has to do with his words remaining in us. And what are his words? Well, he's been saying them for the last chapter. He's been introducing the church age, laying the groundwork for when the spirit of truth comes. What are the dynamics of the spiritual life that we have? Ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So we went through that analogy. But he turned the corner there. Help us understand where he was going. So but then he also continues with verse nine and, verses 9 and 10. He says, uh, uh, now remain in my love. 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, now he turns this whole thing over to love. As the Father has loved me. So have I loved you. Now, this is for you. You remain in my love. 
If you keep, and here's how, if you keep my father's commands, you will remain, and uh, I'm sorry, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And then we switched it up again. Now he says in the next verses, uh, love each other as I have loved you. So he took, he, we have had a lot of different ways of looking at this whole thing. And that's in verse 12, right? So uh, really, if we, we did, um, yeah, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I don't want to leave out verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So then he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So these are things, as we get to this place now where he says, greater love has no one than this. He's dealing with things that he has already built upon a foundation of thinking for us. So I just tried to point that out to you. And you could go back and look at it. But that is where it is built upon. Let's keep going. So the phrase is, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So let's dig into this. So the first point is, this may be used to say that Jesus gave his life for us. And this is the greatest friendship love. Right? But there is another thought. So another way to look at this. Is it the greatest thing that ever happened? Right? Let's just so uh reason why I say this is because people see this laying down one's life for his friends as Jesus going to the cross. It may have to do with Jesus going to the cross, but not only Jesus going to the cross, as we shall see. And re really, why I say this, because there are conditions, and we'll get to that in the next point. But if we read the first, go back to Romans chapter 5, we were there, verses 7 and 8. Now, this is the reasoning that comes through the Apostle Paul. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now we have two different kinds of ways to look at love, right? God's love demonstrated for us when we were, while we were still sinners. Uh, we're going to see what it means to lay down one's life for his friends. And it doesn't have to do with us being sinners. So obviously, it's not talking about salvation here. We should know, hopefully, that's... I know people try to retrofit salvation into every passage and make it out to be a salvation passage. Christ died for us, therefore, you know... This and that. But this passage deals with something unique. Some greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for, his, for one's friends. Later, we're going to see that he's talking to us, that we ought to do this. It's 
not just Christ, but us too. Now, we're not paying for the sins of the world, so we, we, we're going to have to put this into the proper context. So I, I'm saying, yes, there is another thought to this. It's not just the fact that, oh, okay, so Christ died, and then we just resign ourselves to the fact that he died. But we have the, the context that continues, point B. Let's keep going. This love comes with a condition. To lay down one's life for one's friends. So this verse must be understood through the context. So generally, if we can, we could stay within the text that is before us. But obviously we cannot when what is before us, in the, the verses that are coming up next, that is, deal with the explanation of what we need to understand, right? So we, we, we use that as part of our ex explanation. We have to talk about it. Yeah, we're going to get to those verses next week and the weeks preceding, but we need to talk about them now as well because they're part of the context. So let's read that again. This love comes with a condition to lay down one's life for one's friends. This verse must be un understood through the context. There are five ways to look at this. So let's look at it. Uh, to lay down one's life, this is the first point, is for, it, it is for us to do. right? With Christ giving his life to the Father as our working example. That's why he's telling us this. The verse prior to this told us that we ought to love one another. We have to, that's what he's saying. We ought to love one another. We're, we're trying to understand what does it mean when Christ says there's no greater love than this, that somebody would lay down their life, one's life, for one's friends. And we saw Christ died for us while we were still enemies. So friends, enemies, we already got it. Or as somebody would say, frenemies. I know that's corny. But, but no. These things are different. So laying down one's life is a working example. Why, what do I mean by a working example? Jesus laid it out. I'm going to John 6, 35. Oh, is it John 6, 35? Yeah. I'm in Romans. That's why it's not working. <laughs> so John 6, 35 says... Then Jesus said, um, oh, wait a minute. That's not the right verse. Uh, oh, it's 38. That's why. Sorry. Please correct your notes. So it's John 6, and I'm correcting mine as I speak. 38. <clears throat> so what does it say in 38? For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So notice, this is what it means for you to lay down your life. Right? When Jesus understood, when he says, I come down from heaven, he, he's recognizing that he wasn't just born as a human being. He was born with the Father's eternal purpose over his life. He understood it. He came to the understanding he says, and he says it from this perspective. He's saying, I came down from heaven not to do my will, 
He's not saying, well, you know, I was thinking about going to college. And then after that, I'll get my car and, and I'll get a house. I'll get married. I'll have kids. We could lay out a life for Christ. But Christ said, no, that's not for me. I, my destiny is different. Other people may have a destiny that is their own, but this is what the Father has planned for me. So I, I recognize him saying that, and that's big. It's not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's important. And then uh, in John 12, 45, uh, you're already in John, so you can easily flip, flip over to, to chapter 12. And then verse 45, look at this one. And this is really, I could have um, said a lot of different things here, but this is one phrase I want to focus on in verse 45. It says, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. So that's important for us. I mean, for us to be able to say that, remember, Jesus was the image of the invisible God. He allowed the Father to take over the life that he had, that he had on earth. And the life that he had on earth, that means his presence, his rights for being here. Right? The Father was able, to, through Christ, to present his agenda through Christ. And... and so Jesus is saying, really, the words I say to you, I mean, we could even go as far as that is concerned. Verse 49, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So in, in verse 50, I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. This is what he means by the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. So a person could say, yeah, we reject you like they did in John chapter 8. We reject you, but we love the Father. Jesus said, no. <laughs> you hate me, you hate the Father. You don't get it. I'm Everything I'm about is what the Father is about. I'm transparent. It is not me who says these things. It is the Father in me who's saying these things to you. So... That whole skirmish in John chapter 8 was them challenging Jesus. Really? They were challenging the Father's plan, which is more important to understand. And then there's 1431, which you already know, where Jesus says, I love the Father and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. So Christ is telling you what it means to lay down his life. Is the cross Included in this? The answer is yes, it is. This does include the cross, because that's part of the will of God for Christ. Obviously, the cross is not the will of God for us. Well, we are commanded to pick up our cross, but we are not going to the cross in order to pay for the sins of the world. Christ did. We don't have to. We have to take up our cross in the sense that we have to give our lives up in the same way he did. We have to come to the realization, just like Christ did, that we are not here to do our own will, but the will of him who sent us. That is what we are coming to. So earlier, Dwight was saying this scripture from in Philippians, for me to live, and that is to live in this world, 
to to think about what function I have in this world. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. There it is. That's what's important in us, that we come to that knowledge, that we begin to order our steps accordingly, that we lay down our life right, for our friends. And let's, let's keep going, because that's what it requires of us, right, to lay down our lives. Point number two. To lay down one's life is, what does it mean literally? Because it's not just, uh, you know, in our commitment to God, because we covered that already, where we ought to love just as the Father loves me, Jesus said, so we ought to love each other. Right? We ought to, you ought to love me, you ought to abide in my love. And then he turned to us and said, you sh my command is this, love one another. So, with that thought, what does that mean? How do we understand that? It means we ought to be committed to one another. That we ought to devote ourselves to one another. That we ought to sacrifice for one another or prefer one another. That's what it's to say. Why? Because we know we're in God's plan. Right? That's part of our destiny. That's who we are. And it's not just me who are, is called in this regard. It is us, all of us, who all we had to do is put our faith in Christ. And next thing you know, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into his body. That happened, and we are saying we recognize that. We recognize God's plan, and our fellow believers, our members of our own body, are important to us. So 1 John 5.19, what is our importance with respect to the world? It's 1 John 5.19 says, uh, I'll read it. So it says, uh, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So it puts us in this perspective as we are facing the world. We know that believers we ought to sacrifice. I mean, not to say we don't have any sacrifices for the world. It's not to say that. But we're talking about a higher purpose that God has called us here to walk in. And that is that we commit to one another, right? We prefer, we devote ourselves, we sacrifice. We're willing to do that. Why? Because in doing that, we're recognizing the importance of the Father's plan over our lives. Now, just to note, that is not what they did in the early church. They hated one another. In fact, they fought. They, they actually had fights in the church. In the church. We're not talking about going out and fighting somebody. We're talking about people in the church fighting one another. It's the worst thing. Uh, hating each other in the body of Christ. Because it is literally saying that the Father's plan is rejected by us. We will not see that brother or sister. It doesn't matter how many sins they have. It's, it's love, like it says, covers a multitude of sins. Does, they are part of the Father's eternal purpose. They're brothers and sisters. So that's why when he says that we ought to lay down our life for our friends, well, we're going to define what friends should be, friends are, 
And then we will also define what we're trying to understand. What does it mean to lay down one's life? And that's what it means. We, we're not here to do our will, but we're here to do the will of the one who sent us. And our, with respect to looking at each other horizontally, we ought to build each other up. That is our goal. Devote ourselves to one another. Sacrifice. Right? Prefer. This is what it means to love one another. Not just, wow, well, we just feel real sentimental about it. You know, when it comes to the church. No, we, we have this motivation toward. this When we turn this motivation from God to our horizontal brothers and sisters, then that's what happens. And I'm, that's the point number three. We can see this entire thought given to emphasize our love horizontally. And that's verse 12. Look at verse 12. Go back to, to John. I know we're in 1 John, but just go to John um, 15 again. And so what surrounds this, this whole analogy are two commands. And here it is. So verse 12 starts out with, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. So this is what he's really trying to tell us. He's turning the corner to tell us how we ought to do this. How this works. So 13, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Well, what he commanded is he introduced the church age. Those are the words that he introduced. Those are the words that should remain in us through our abiding. That's what our part is, to love and cherish the Father's eternal purpose. It should remain in our hearts. And point 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So look, all of that is what it means. right? No greater love than this to lay down one's life for friends. And then he follows it up with verse 17. This is my command, just so you, to reiterate, love each other. Right? So those two things are what surround the explanation of what he means. Verse 12 and verse 17. Right? This is how I'm seeing this. Uh, so hopefully we'll understand it. And then, to cap that off, right? we could see the emphasis there. Um, to love horizontally, but also it's it's said in other other ways, right? In First John, five, one through three. Let's turn there. I know we're jumping back and forth. First John chapter five, verses one through three. Everyone who love who believes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now that's a statement of fact. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Another statement of fact. 
Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God. Here, same thing, by loving God and carrying out his commands. That's how we know that we love the children of God. It's not just how we love God, how we love the children who are born of God. It's by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. So there you have a mixture of not only is the love for our fellow believers tied to our love for God, right? It's, it's our understanding and motivation in the reciprocal nature toward what God is his love for us, how we respond to our calling. Right? So that that is what is important, is First John 5, 1 through 3. We love the brethren, the brothers and sisters, the children of God. Point number five, right? This is uh, understanding. If the disciples do this, and this is point number four, sorry. If the disciples do this, they will become the foundational apostles. Just like we saw in Ephesians 2.20. It says that the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And point number five, this will leave an example for us to follow and for the world to see. That's John 13, uh, 5 through 20. So we're going to have to turn to that because it does lend to this thinking. So John 13, 5, I'm going to quickly read this. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, or said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was, who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also, you also should wash one another's feet. Now here's that point. Jesus went through this whole demonstration for them to understand these points. You should wash one another's feet. And verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And what do you mean? I washed all of your feet. You now should wash one another's feet. I'm not talking about foot washing, literally. I know churches do that. 
That's not what he's, it's not the point here. Let's keep going. I have set an example for you. So you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is saying this whole thing is connected. And you're not just to respect me, but you've got to respect the Father. Because it's his plan. Who, he's the one who's, who's given this plan to me. Now that you, you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Remember, it's not just uh, Christ loving the disciples. It's the Father's eternal purpose <coughs> Excuse me. that is at stake here. Loving each other is in recognition of the Father's eternal purpose. You'll be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know all of I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. He's talking about Judas, as you know. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. That's interesting because, yeah, they saw in their in the very near future how that whole thing with Judas played out. And then verse 20, very truly I tell you. In other words, the story's not over. Pay attention. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. You know what that's saying? That's saying that we have to have the respect for one another because Christ is going to be gone and the church is going to be on the ground. So there it is. Whoever accepts anyone I send, accepts me, and whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. So there you have it, right there. Everything's tied back to the Father's eternal purpose. And what are we talking about here? Love each other as I have loved you. So that's John 13, 5 through 20, and point C, one's friends. Now, uh, I threw a couple of these things in here because really we're going to talk about friendship next week because this is where Jesus is painting the picture. But I'll just note, our friends, as we shall see, this friendship is conditioned on the following verses, and that's 14 through 16, which I read earlier. Also, it depends on our understanding of the previous verses too. And we have, we understood those. We, we saw the uh, vertical uh, motivation of our love, as well as the horizontal um, love that we now should have for one another. Point D, this friendship is based on the mystery, the dispensational teaching, right? That's what we have uh, in verse 13. Or, I'm sorry, the dispensational teaching is, is what we have in verse uh, John 15. This is verse 15 where he says, I no longer call you servants. This is John 15 15, by the way. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. And here it is. For everything I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. This is the information that Jesus could give them from the Father. And this is, has to do with the church age. This literally is part of the, the doctrine, the dispensational teaching. So that leads us to Ephesians 3, 
two through four, because we're way past that. We're millennia past that. Centur centuries, millennia past that. So Ephesians 3, 2 through 4, is where we end the thought of this. Um, Ephesians 3, uh, 2 through 4 says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So this is, this is the information that we have love around. We can still love somebody if they don't have this information. We can still love one another if they are ignorant of this. You who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to plead ourselves. Well, it is our job to help others, to build them up in this area, if that is the case. Right? Our, it's based, our friendship literally is based on this, right? whether other people know it or not. If we know it, then we're responsible. So the question becomes, in point E, now, how many friends do you have? I'll let you answer that, and we'll talk more about friendship next week as we close this week out. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for sharing this with us. We pray as we have gone through the many scriptures that have been brought to the table that our understanding that you have let us know that not only are we to love you, but that we are to be obedient to Christ, who you have given everything to, and that we are to show that love through our motivation and devotion, but that we ought to love one another. That is also important to your plan. We pray that we will do a better job at this, that we will grow in grace and allow the Holy Spirit's love to extend not only to the Father and to the Son, but so that we will understand how to love one another, that we will be uh, humble to understand the Holy Spirit's leading in this area. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.